0: Somebody say, let's jump into his word. How many of you know if you take the word of God and you apply it to every single situation in your life, I cannot fully explain this, but I hope you understand this, that when you take the word of God and you apply it to every situation in your life, that place where the supernatural collides with the natural is the birthplace for the miraculous. John... In his gospel, the very last verse in his gospel, it says that Jesus did so many things that if it were all written down, there would not be enough room to contain the books that would be written why because John understood the power the authority of the word of God in his gospel he was establishing the power of God's uh, 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 of the authority of God he was establishing not the miraculous of God even though there are seven signs in his in his work there are seven miracles if you will in his work he was not establishing the power of the miraculous he was establishing the power of God's word to bring the miraculous are you grabbing this that's why when he was identifying for us that we would believe in Jesus Christ. He started out his book by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and everything that was made was made by him, and nothing that has been made was made without him, because the word works. It's the power of his word that brings the miraculous. It's his word that causes the lame to walk. It's his word that heals the blinded eye. It's his word that causes the sick bodies to be healed. It's his word that brings that life, and that life that is more abundant. It's his word word that spoke to Moses and told Moses, I am with you. It's his word that spoke to Joseph in the midst of prison and said, I'm going to give to you a favor. It's his word that spoke to David and said, you are going to slay Goliath. It's his word that spoke to the nobleman and said, your son will not die, but he will live. And the nobleman took Jesus for his word and he departed. It's his word. It's his word. It's his word that offers hope. It's his word that offers help. If you've ever been impacted by the word of God, we and you felt like you didn't know what to do, but his word got all up in your business and began to rearrange things that you couldn't do. Then, somebody give him praise up in this place. Y'all gonna start me to preaching. Is it okay if I give you the title of today's message before I give you the text? Is that okay? Look at your neighbor and announce to them the title. Grace gets up. High five another neighbor and say, Grace gets up. Look at somebody else behind you and say, Grace gets up. Now that we're talking about all this getting up, then you may be seated but I hope that you will not be seated for long. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the narrative that we will discuss today, John chapter 5, verses 1 and following. I can certainly say that with your help today, I believe this message will be much, much better. Who's going to help me preach today? As you're turning to this passage of scripture, here we are in installment number four of this series, More Than a Miracle, where we're looking at the miracles or the signs as John calls them in his gospel. But we're looking at more than the miracle. We're looking at the story behind the miracle. We're looking at the lesson or the message that Jesus Christ would convey in his miracle. You see, we always get wrapped up in the miraculous. And sometimes, in fact, Jesus even said, we looked at it last week, that many of you only believe if you see the sign. But you need to understand that the sign is not the proof of who God is. His word is his proof what you need to understand is that the miracle, the power of the miraculous is in his word. In fact, what you need to understand is that the miracle is his word. So I hope today that this message will be as profound for you as you hear it as it was for me as I was preparing for it. I pray that today you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you on another level so that you can see yourself in this story. And I want you to hang with me today because we're all over the place with this word. It's not necessarily the most neatly packaged message that I've ever preached, but I'm just going to give to you the way God is giving it to me. Is that okay? We're going to read together the narrative and then we'll pause and do some work. But beginning in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, we see the timestamp of this miracle. We see the geographical, the very specific geographical location of this miracle. And so John writes in his gospel, Sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, covered porches around this, actually two pools that are built over some hot springs. Now, before you begin to imagine the scenery, let me help you understand some of the symbolism that is present there. It says that Jesus went to Bethesda. Bethesda actually means the place or the house of grace. Here is the epitome of grace, God incarnate in the flesh, Jesus Christ himself, grace walking into the place called the house of grace. What will happen? Verse 3, or should I say what is going on? Verse 3 tells us, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So grace comes to the house of grace. Grace walks in. Help walks in. Hope walks in. Restoration walks in. Healing walks in. Joy walks in. Can I get some help? So here we have Jesus, grace, walking in. Verses 5 and 6. One who was there had been An invalid for 38 years, 38 years lying in his misery, 38 years. No one could do anything for him, 38 years. He had taken up a place called hopeless. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? A very, very mysterious question. Do you want to get well? Well, Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Hold on a second. Here is grace coming into the house of grace. And grace, or the word, if if we may, the word gives a word. Here is the word, Jesus Christ himself, who came to offer grace to humanity. Here is the word, Jesus Christ himself, who came to break the back of the religious law. Here is the word, giving a word. And the word that he gives is found in verse 9, and that word is get up pick up your mat and walk. So the word called grace walks into the place called the house of grace, gives a word to a man that no one else could do anything for. And when he gave him the word, get up. The Bible says that the man got up and he began to walk. Why? Because he had a divine encounter with the most high God. And he began to speak his word into his body and his body was healed. Why? Because he received a word from the word. Grace spoke to him and all of these people are around who said no one can do anything with this man but now this man seems to be walking and is healed so imagine the scene if you will imagine the people who are standing around after 38 years of of of, of suffering after 38 years jesus says get up somebody say grace gets up After 38 years of suffering, all of the disciples are there. All of the people know about this man, especially the the disciple Peter because Peter understands the restorative qualities of grace because later Peter would write in his book that the enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory after you have suffered for a little while will himself reach down and lift you up because grace gets up up lord have mercy grace gets up somebody look at your neighbor and say grace gets up can i pause here and do some work is that okay can i teach for a minute Because there are so many qualities and nuances that are present in this narrative that when you first read them, you don't see them unless you really get to study these things. There are so many different complexities. You have to understand the context of the story, why Jesus is doing what he's doing and why John is recording it. In fact, there are some theological complexities, some historical complexities There's some geographical situations that are happening. This is a very different kind of story. There's some ritualistic things that are happening. There's a timing of this miracle. There's the location of this miracle. You need to understand all of these things and how they're connected so that you can have the context for this story. Because if you don't fully understand this story, you will not see yourself in the story. And how many of you know that God wants you to begin to see yourself in his word? So here we have the location. Let's begin with the location. Bethesda. The place or the house of grace. The pool at Bethesda. It's at the northeast side, if you will, behind the sheep gate in the wall of Jerusalem. There are two pools that are there that are built over hot springs. The Romans built these pools with the five covered porches, the colonnades, in order for it to be a most beautiful place, a place of relaxation. It's now become this public bathing area. The reason why the Romans created this place was for a place of beauty, a place of relaxation. However, the very purpose of its existence has now changed because of the spiritual phenomenon that's been taking place. In fact, if you look at your narrative right now, look at your Bible and look for verse four. In many of your translations, there is not a verse four. And the reason for that is because you can go back and look at at the earliest manuscripts. Historians have done so, and verse 4 is not present there. In fact, verse 4 doesn't show up for a couple of hundred years. And when verse 4 shows up, verse 4 actually says this, that an angel would come down and stir up the water. And when the water was stirred, the first person into the pool would be healed. Here, now... The, this pool at Bethesda has the purpose of this pool has changed because people are believing in this legend. So now all of these sick people, dejected people, all of these broken people, the lame people, the the invalid, the the person with this issue and that issue, they're now hanging out at this place. If the doctor has said you are chronically ill and there's nothing else that I can do for you, that may be the place that you need to go. So now this place that was so beautiful has become a place that that's really like an infirmary where all of the broken people come but not only do they come and sit by the pool listening to the ripple of the water they're also begging as people walk by because that's the only way they can they can make ends meet they're begging for for people to help them we're poor help us we're broken help us so no one would go by this place because it was not the place to hang out but then along came jesus but then along came jesus who walks into the place or the house of grace and he is grace he went to a place that no one else would go to he goes to bethesda the five covered colonnades the number five in the bible represents the the number for grace grace Here you have the grace, the epitome of grace. You have God Himself in the flesh represented by Jesus Christ, who is grace, coming to the house of grace, speaking grace over someone. Why? Because this man was in a place that no one else would go, in a condition that no one else could help him with. But Jesus came along to tell him, You don't need another hand upon you. You've been talking about no one will help you get into the pool, but you don't need someone else to help you because someone else is not your breakthrough. I am your breakthrough. And the same hand that placed the stars in the sky is the same hand that's about to bless you with healing because your breakthrough comes through me. So when Jesus is going to Bethesda, he's not going to a five-star resort. He's going to a place that no one else wanted to go and he's about to deal with a man that no one else could deal with, a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Think about this story in connection to the other stories that we've looked at for the last several weeks. Because John is telling us something about the kingdom of God. Think about the other miracles. We have the water turned into wine at Cana. Then we have the nobleman who comes down from Capernaum, from Capernaum to, to, to Cana. It's about 25 miles or so. He comes down to Cana to tell Jesus that his son is about to die. And Jesus looks at him and says, your son will not die, but he will live. And the man that heard the word, the noble man, took Jesus for his word. And the Bible said he departed. Now, you have an invalid who no one else could deal with, but Jesus walks up to him. What you need to understand about the Word of God, about the kingdom of God, what you should learn from what we've been looking at when you connect the the dots is that God's kingdom has no boundaries. It's for the insider, it's for the outsider, it's for the man with no name, it's for the noble man who had a title, it's for the invalid. Why? Because God wants to reach down and begin to bless people with the grace that He poured out called Jesus Christ. Is anybody going to help? me up in this place. That's why that's why John wrote his gospel because he wanted everyone to believe in the authority of his word. Now we can see why John started his gospel off in John 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and everything that was made was made by Him And nothing that was made was made without him because he's telling us in the creation story that the word was present when the earth was formed in the form of a word. Let there be. So Jesus walks into the place called Bethesda, the house of grace, with grace, and he asks a question. Do you want to be well? We talk about the word. We talk about how the Word works. The reason why we talk about the Word is because we can see physical proof that the Word works. However, if the Word works, why is it that we don't see the Word working in our lives? Maybe the bigger question is are you working the Word? Because generally speaking, our prayer requests are self-motivated. But I challenge you this week to change your prayer request. Rather than, God, give me something, why don't you say, God, give me the opportunity to be a blessing to you? What can I do to bless you? Who can you place in front of me, God, that I can can bless them? Because, God, if I bless them, they're going to be blessed. And then, all of a sudden, you're going to be glorified. So, God, let me put my hands to the plow and do some things for you. Let me be your mouthpiece. Let me see with your eyes. Let me touch with your hands. Because, God, I want to bring you glory. I want to do something for you, God, because save people, serve people. Can I get somebody to help me. So Jesus, he walks up in this place. And when he walks into this place, the Bible says in verse six, it says that he saw the man. Maybe the only sound in this place was the rippling of the water. But he saw the man what John is really telling us is that not only did did Jesus see the man, but the man saw Jesus. Their eyes connected. I love the symbolism in God's word. At least how I feel like the word is speaking to me through this story. Hear the word, Jesus, sees the man. The man sees Jesus. How many times have we read God's word and we think we're reading God's word, but God's word's actually reading us. Whew. So he sees the man. Theologians, people in general say, well, why didn't Jesus heal everybody there? Why didn't he have this healing service? Why didn't he heal everyone that was there? Well, I tend to look at it from a different perspective. Because I think what John is showing us is that we also serve a personal God. That when Jesus walked in and there was a multitude of people, a sea of people, he saw the one. Aren't you thankful that Jesus sees you? And he asked the question, do you want to be well? It's a question of willingness and a question of ability because it's quite obvious that everyone who's hanging out around these pools every day begging, they believe in the legend of the angel stirring up the water. So he's like, well, if you believe in that, why haven't you been healed? It's a question of ability and of willingness. And so the man begins to give Jesus an excuse. Well, 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 well sir. He begins to make an excuse, Sir. <laughs> So, sir, sir, you see what happened was every time I try to get in, someone else beats me into the pool and they go in ahead of me. He begins to make excuses. How many of you know we're good at excuses? We begin to make excuses. He begins to make excuses. And, uh, well, 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 it's apparent when I read this narrative that sometimes. We can have a condition for so long that pretty soon we'll grow fairly comfortable with that condition. And we've had the condition for so long that now we're a little reluctant to let it go. Let me say it this way. Maybe you'll understand. Sometimes the stronghold of the habit is greater than our willingness to change. Sometimes the stronghold of the habit is greater than our, our willingness to, to, to change. So we can capitulate, if you will, to the stronghold, give up our dreams, give up our hopes. It's amazing how comfortable we can become with the uncomfortable. It's amazing to This man began to say, it's everyone else's fault. That's the reason why I'm still like this. 38 years later, somebody is always beating me into the pool. Because sometimes the stronghold, the habit that has now become a stronghold seems to be greater than our desire to change. And so we're like, ah, we can't do anything about this. Everything I've tried, I, I can't seem to get through it. I can't seem to get over it. I can't seem to get around it. I, I can't seem to break through it. I've tried everything and it ain't working. This man is lying down, an invalid on his mat, talking to Jesus. It ain't working. I've tried everything. It ain't, it ain't working. How many of you have said that? I've tried it all. I'm doing everything I feel like I ought to be doing. I'm going to church. I'm doing all that stuff. It ain't working. It ain't working in my relationship. I tried it. It just ain't. It ain't working. I tried it in my finances and it ain't working. I can't seem to get rid of that last five pounds. I've tried everything and it ain't working. Can't get rid of it. So if I can't get rid of it, I might as well accept it. I'm just going to have to live with it. And if I'm going to have to live with that five extra pounds, I might as well eat that Twinkie. <laughs> and if I'm going to eat that Twinkie, I might as well eat another Twinkie and another Twinkie. And then pretty soon it's not five pounds. It's another five pounds. It's another five pounds. It's another five pounds. Then you then you go to the dentist and the dentist said, man, you've been eating a lot of sugar. You better be brushing your teeth a lot better than you are or you're not going to have teeth in 25 years. Then 25 years later, you wonder why you're gumming your food. You don't have any teeth. there's a spiritual connection here the reason why you don't have any teeth is because the dentist told you that you better start brushing your teeth and stop eating all those sweets but yet you didn't listen to him and you didn't do what he said oh i'm getting ready to go somewhere We do the same thing. We come all up in church and we listen to a word and we hear a word, but yet we don't do anything with the word. And then we wonder why nothing's happening in our lives that the word says supposed to happen. Oh, we come into church and we say, well, I just don't feel like I'm getting what I need to get. I just don't feel like I'm being ministered to. I just don't feel like I'm connected. Well, the reason why you're not connected is because you won't take the initiative to connect to an e-group so that you get a little bit more, but then you want to complain about what you're not getting. my notes right there. It said no one will applaud at that point. (laughs) But sir, I have no one that will help me. It's called learned hopelessness. When you focus on the reality of your situation more than the opportunity that you are given. Let me say it this way. The fastest way to miss what God is doing for you is to focus on what others are not doing for you. Woo! I can add to that. The fastest way to miss what God is doing for you is to focus on what others are doing to you. It's impossible to embrace what God has for you if you're constantly focused on what others seem to have Jesus said do you want to get well this man is blaming everyone Jesus said do you want to get well he didn't say do you want to feel better if he just said do you want to feel better then here take a Tylenol and call me in the morning he didn't say do you want to get better he said do you want to get well I wonder how many times we use church to feel better rather than getting well Woo. Don't shout me down. I'm preaching good. Somebody holler. Woo. Y'all are still here. I mean, it just seems to be, uh, I, I wrote this down. Sometimes God is not trying to comfort us in our affliction, but rather he uses our affliction in order to confront us in our spirit. Because he's using the affliction. You see, Jesus knew that not every sick person wanted to be well. Do you want to be well? He knew that he was not dealing with just an issue of a man with withered legs, but he was also dealing with an issue of a man with a withered spirit. For 38 years he had been in this condition and for 38 years he had been begging And What he's about to say to him, what he's about to do in his life is about to change him radically because he's no longer going to be hanging out at the pool of Bethesda begging for alms for the poor. Now he's going to be able to walk and he's going to have to work. There's about to be some significant change in his life. Everything that he's ever known is about to change. Do you want to be well? So he comes to the end, do you want to be well? And he's like, well, uh, sir, you see Johnny over there? You see him? The last time that the pool was bubbling up and I started making my way to the pool. Oh, Johnny, he's only got, he's got a skin condition. He jumped in, he jumped in. He just leapfrogged me and he was in the water. You see Sally over there? She got cataracts. Sally can't hardly see, but she can see well enough. She stepped on my head, used it as a step to get in. (laughs) I I ain't got anybody to help me. He's listing the facts. No one seems to help me. No one seems to care about me. No one wants, this has always been this way. It's always going to be this way. It's never going to change. He's listing the facts of his situation. How many of you know we're really good at listing the facts? listing the facts. He's listing the facts. He's so good at listing the facts that he misses the very truth that is standing right in front of him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He misses the fact. Lord have mercy. He misses. You see, what you need to understand is this. While you're busy listing the facts, you are not doing what the word says and listing the truth of his word. This man was blinded by the facts and was missing The truth, who was standing right in front of him. How many times have we done that? We've been so busy listing the facts of our lives that we miss the very fact that God is at work in our lives right now, at this very moment. This man didn't realize that Jesus was standing in front of him at the place called the House of Grace, about to dispense some grace. Sometimes you need to stop blaming everybody else that's around you. Stop blaming the devil for it, because God is doing something in your life, even when you don't think He's doing something in your life because he don't want you to give anybody else the credit for what he's about to do because he wants to show you that the only breakthrough that you have is through him. So in verse eight, Jesus says, get up. When Jesus says, get up. I don't know if Jesus whispered it. I don't know if Jesus shouted it. Get up. Get up. Take your mat and walk. Get up. Hold on a second. Get up. Hold on. Get up. Grace gets up. Hold on a second. Grace gets up. There are times in our lives where we're going to have to get up. And meet the word of God. Mm. There are times in our lives that the Word of God doesn't come down, but we're going to have to get up. Because when we make the determination that we're going to get up and meet the Word of God, that's where the supernatural begins to take place in our lives. We might want change in our lives, but we're always looking for the change on the outside. But sometimes God has got to do a change on the inside before you can ever experience what He has for you on the outside. So when you begin to make the determination that my breakthrough is not contingent upon what He does for me, what she can do for me, your breakthrough is contingent upon the one who can begin to renew a right spirit within you and when you get up because grace gets up you'll meet a God who can do things for you that no one else can do for you and that God will roll up on your porch and tell you to roll up your mat and the thing that others has used to define you well now he'll use to bring him glory. Can I say grace gets up Can I say grace gets up? Somebody help me. Grace gets up. Get up on your feet and say grace gets up. Grace gets up. See, can I tell you something? When grace has been poured out in your life, Don't don't misconstrue this message. I am not telling you that you have to do something for God. What I am telling you is when you realize all that God has done for you, you're going to want to do something for God. Grace gets up. Somebody say, grace gets up. And you know that thing that others have used to define your life, to characterize your life, to categorize your life, God can change it to where now it becomes your story that brings him glory. Because look at verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11 says this, it says, well, the rest of nine says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Not, woo, hey, man, this is the dude that's been like, he's been an invalid for 38 years. They know him. They know who he is. They see him carrying his mat. They walk by him all the time. They, They know who he is. They're not rejoicing with him. They're saying, You can't carry your mat. You see, religious law didn't understand the power of grace. And so they were not focused at all on what Jesus Christ had done for him. They're now saying, Man, you can't do what you're doing. Not, not, how in the world did this happen to you? This is incredible. No, no, no. You're carrying your mat, you're not allowed to carry it on Sunday. But look what happens. so so hold on a second they are still defining him by the mat not that he's still lying on the mat but now that he's carrying it because he's healed now watch this verse 11 but he replied the man who made me well said to me pick up your mat and walk (laughs) the man who made me well do you want do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Because things are about to change. If you want to be well, you're no longer going to use your mat to lie on to beg. Now you're going to walk around with it to give glory to God. Somebody else is going to say, hey, aren't you the mat man? No, I'm not the mat man. I'm the man who was just healed by Jesus Christ. Because grace gets up. Grace Gets up, Grace gets up and goes, Grace gets up and tells somebody else, Grace gets up and blesses God. Somebody say Grace gets up. Grace gets up and walks into healing. Grace gets up and walks into restoration. Grace gets up